now bring you the Making Much of Jesus podcast featuring the late Dr. Jack Hudson, the founding pastor of the Northside Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And now today's edition of the Making Much of Jesus podcast. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn now, if you will, to the book of Acts. Just a verse there, I'm not doing an exposition on it, but I want to bring the truth from one verse. I want to tell you this morning how to get saved today, how to get saved today. I believe today is the day of salvation. I believe there's an urgency about the need of salvation. There are two reasons, obviously, first, you may die. Secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ may come before that time. And I believe that you need to know how to get saved today. And I believe that some of you here need to come to the Lord today and believe on him as your Lord and Savior. And that's my prayer for you this morning. All right, in the book of Acts chapter 16, and come down to verse number 30. And you know the story by now, of course, that's page 1172 in your Schofield Bibles, the book of Acts chapter 16 and verse number 30. And uh, the story here, as you know, Paul and Silas had been in jail. The jailer who, of course, uh, in those days, if, uh, if the jailer allowed his prisoners to escape, he had to serve out their term. If they were to be executed, then he would be executed. Of course, that kept the prisoner on his toes. Well, the, an earthquake had come, the, the shaken loose, and boy, he thought they were gone for sure. He was ready to die. And suddenly, he, as he realized they were there, and he remembered how they had been singing out in the prison yard, how in the midst of all the beatings and the song that didn't bother them at all, they just looked up to the Lord and praised God. He knew they had something he didn't have. And he didn't want to talk to them about it or find out later, or maybe go to some young converts class or maybe go to a membership class and learn how to join the church. He wasn't interested in that at all. He wanted to get saved today. He wanted to get saved right then. And he believed that he could experience instantaneous salvation. He didn't believe he had to be baptized to get saved. He didn't believe that he had to start doing better. He didn't believe he had to join the church in order to get saved. He believed that he needed to get saved right that moment. And that's why I'm reading this particular portion of Scripture, because I believe that God wants some of you to know that you need to get saved this morning. There may not be a tonight for some of you. There may not be a tomorrow or a next Sunday or another opportunity. I believe that God wants you to get saved this morning. Now listen to what he said. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he in all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Now, Father, we pray that in Jesus' name that you'd bless thy word, help people to understand it, and help people to be saved, both in the church here this morning and those listening by the means of radio. Help them to be saved this morning in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, I want you to notice what he did. He asked them what he must do to be saved. And they said to him, not join the church, not start doing better, not do this or that and the other, no rules, no standards, no anything else. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. A story comes to my mind, uh, a true story supposedly of many long years ago when evangelists would go around with the great old tent meetings, preach sometimes four or five weeks, and then on the last night give them the invitation. And as the story says, the old evangelist told it many times, 
He was taking the tent down the next morning, pulling up the stakes, and said, an old farm boy came over to him and had on bib overalls, and he said to him, he said, sir, I've been here most every night. I've been sitting up on the hillside. Never came in, but I sat on the little hillside, and I listened. And he said, I want to know what I've got to do to be saved. He said, son, it's too late. And he just kept pulling up his stakes, rolling up the rope, and the old boy stood there. He said, but sir, you don't understand. I was here every night, didn't come in, but I didn't know what folk could say about my old overalls. But I was here every night anyway, and I want to know what I've got to do to get saved. He said, son, it's too late. And the boy got a little desperate. He said, sir, but you don't understand. I want to get saved, and I was here every night, and I've got to know what to do. And the old man thought he was about ready. He stopped there and looked at him dead in the eye, and he said, son, it's too late. For you to do anything, Jesus Christ has done it all on Calvary. It's paid for. All you've got to do is receive it. Now that's exactly in essence what Paul and Silas said to this jailer. What must I do, brother? I want you to know it's too late for you to do anything. You can't join the church. You can't get baptized. You can't do any of these things, brother. All you can do is trust in Jesus Christ. In the finished work of Him, that's what it's all about. It's trusting in Him, believing and receiving the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. But I want you to do this. There's three little simple things I'm going to give you. Maybe you can remember. First of all, if you want to get saved this morning, I want you to look in. I want you to look in. Look into your heart. Look into your life. Look into your body. And you'll see some reasons you need to get saved. First of all, if you look in and consider your body itself. Have you ever thought about how much time we spend pampering these bodies? Boy, we wash them and perfume them and shave them and dress them and comb it, their hair, and we put clothes on them, we dress them up and brag about them, and we put all kind of things on, manipulate and do all kind of things to make us look better and feel better and appear better and look younger and older or whatever it might be that we want to do, and we take our hair and fix it and tease it and spray it and do everything in the world we can trying to fix up these bodies. And God looks at these bodies of which you and I are so proud. You know what he says? Flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. There is not one of us. There's not a person living so good looking. There's not a person so well built. There's not a person rich enough. There's not a person with flesh good enough that not even one will ever enter in the kingdom of God. Not one in the flesh. All this flesh that you and I lug about and care about is one day going back to the grave. The Lord looked at it in the book of Romans chapter 3. And he begins to describe the things about it. He said their mouth is an open sepulcher. Their tongue is, has the poison of asp. And he goes all the way down. And he gets to their heart. And he says the heart is a seat above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? He comes to their feet and he says their feet are even swift to shed blood. God says from the top of their head to the sole of their feet, they're nothing in the world but putrefying flesh. Did you know that if you'd quit breathing, it may be that you're the richest man in the world, the most handsome person in all the world. But if you'd quit breathing, they'd have to take you to a mortuary. You know why? Because your body would begin to deteriorate. It began to rotten, and if I can say it not be coarse, it began to smell. And they'd have to take you and pump your blood out of your body and pump it full of formaldehyde so that they could even have a decent burial on you so you wouldn't rotten before they could get you into the ground. Now that's what God wants you to do. God wants you to look in. God wants you to look down at your body. That which we lug about and that which we're trying to make easy and that which we're trying to sell our souls to keep this flesh comfortable for a little bit. What a foolish thing it is to sell, see somebody selling their soul for a little bit of enjoyment for the flesh that's not going to last much at the best. And then when we die, it's going back to the dust from whence it created and being nothing in the world but food for the worms. It's going back to the dust, to the ground, to the plain old dry ground and disintegrate. I guess in my lifetime, and I'm trying to be very careful, I've seen at least 20 graves open, at least that many, perhaps more. 
I have watched them as they've brought up the residue. I've seen them as they bring up the hinges and maybe the false teeth and that'd be all. Maybe a bone here and there. No flesh, no anything, no hair left, no anything that people spend all this time trying to, to fix up and, and make look good and perfume and spray on deodorant to keep it from smelling and everything else. It's gone back to the dust. And God says, if you look inside of you, you'll understand why you need to get your soul saved so that it can go to heaven when it dies. And then not only that, you need to look at your nature. When you look at your nature, really look in and see your nature, you understand what we are. I don't have to try to be bad. Brother, all I have to do is just take my guard up for a minute. I am bad. I don't have to try to be hateful. I can be hateful in a moment's time unless I keep a close guard on it. Do you know why? That's my nature. So is yours. Did you know that a person's nature is to lie and cheat and steal? And you have to teach them not to do those things. And we have to put a real effort out in order to keep our old flesh from doing these things. The Bible says that our flesh will lust after other flesh unless we put a safeguard on it. And God gives us definite standards in the word of God how we can keep from lusting after other flesh. God says this old body with its desires, with its linger, is nothing in the world but something that we have to lug about. And one day, even though it's fearfully and wonderfully made, it's been, it's been desecrated in the fall of Adam, and we have to watch it. It's going back to the dust. Our very nature cries out to us. Most of you have got the keys to your car in your pocket. Most of you have your home locked. You know why? It's because you know that people will steal. It's why we have policemen. It's why we have prison. It's why we have a, 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 a judging system and so on. It's because of the very nature of mankind. Everything about us. You pick up your paper and you won't read five pages or five columns before you come across something that again depicts to you uh, the, 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 the nature of a man, the fallen nature of a man. Then when you look at their religion, isn't it strange when you look around the world today, there's only one Bible, there's only one God, there's only one Savior. All the way through the Bible it says this. The Bible very carefully says there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Lord Jesus, God himself said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you understand that verse, it means then that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as being the son of God, then you don't go to heaven. That means that the people who believe in Buddha, it means the people who trust in the Koran, it means the people that trust in whatever, you keep on naming it, have not a Savior because they haven't come to the one living God through the only means. The Bible says again in Acts 4.12, there is none other name given unto heaven among men whereby you must be saved. There's only one name given unto heaven whereby men can be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. And yet look around if you will. In Italy, for example, they're Catholics and they believe that you go through the Pope and, and so on and you pray to the Virgin Mary. Again, the Bible comes back in clear denunciation of that and says you must pray, you must believe through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way that you can be saved and so on. You look around in India and it's sacred cows, for example. They believe that monkeys are sacred. They believe in reincarnation. They won't step on a bug or kill insects, though they're destroy destroying their life-giving crops because they believe that some of their ancestors returned in the form of an insect or an animal or a bug. 
And so sacred cows wander around while their st children stand there with their stomachs protruding from malnutrition. And the sacred cow is standing there eating their crops and they do nothing about it because they have been taught to believe that that cow is sacred. Now I'm saying to you, beloved, that again the Bible comes back and says there is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. This is not an American Bible. Neither is an Indian Bible or an African Bible. It's the world's Bible. It's the only Bible. It's heaven's Bible. The only written word that's ever been revealed to us that comes from God. And we need to understand this, beloved. It's not what a man believes and is sincere. You can be sincerely wrong about so many other things that would be foolish for me to take the time to illustrate them. You could be sincere about poison and drink it, but you'll die just the same. You could be sincere and light a match and hold it over gasoline, and you'll be blown up in an explosion. You can hold a stick of dynamite in your hand and light a match and be as sincere as anybody's ever been, and you'll still be blown to kingdom come. I'm trying to say to you, it's not sincerity. It's not these false religions, because God said, this man said, How, what must I do to be saved? They didn't say go out and buy a sacred cow and worship him. They didn't say fall down before a Roman Catholic priest and worship the Virgin Mary and say three hails and, and, uh, and all this business. They said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, brother. That's scripture. That's the word of God. Now remember, that was quoted in an oriental country. That was quoted in Palestine, the very hub of the Far East, you see. Not in America again. This is an old Bible. It's God's Bible. It's the world's Bible. It's the only one we have. Why, in Africa, for example, they may bow down before a tree. They may bow down before a tooth or a rhinoceros or an alligator or a chicken or whatever it may be for that particular tribe. But it doesn't change it one iota. In America, we're no better. Why we're bound down before nudity and sex and lewdness and ungodliness and pornography and, and everything that's filthy and vile. It seems like that's become the God today instead of the God of heaven and the Bible and what it has to say. And brother, turning away from those things is not the answer. The thing you have to do is to be born again. And then you don't have a need of these things. Then I want you not only to look in, but I want you to look out. Look in first and see your nature. And then you'll understand that when you look out, you'll see these things. You need to look around you. I believe that you ought to care enough about your never-dying soul, for there's coming a time. It may be on a hospital bed, and you'll hear the voices as they get fainter and fainter, and the darkness will grow a little darker, and you're going to slip out into eternity, and all your money, and all your friends, and all your popularity, all your prestige, all your accomplishments, all of them put together cannot go there with you. Brother, it's a long, lonesome valley, and you've got to go there by yourself. And when you slip through that valley of the shadow of death, brother, I want you to know that you need to know what's going to be on the other side. You need to have something down in your soul that's real. I like what Paul Bice used to say, my soul demands reality. I like something to cling to. I like something to hold to. I like facts, not my opinion about things, but something definite that I can, I can say my soul has reality. It has something to which it can cling. And the problem today is many people have nothing because they look around and they said, well, the rest of the world, I'm living as good as they are, but it isn't based on the way that you live. It's based on the person whom you trust as your Lord and Savior. Now, look around you a minute. Look at what sin has done. You know, isn't it strange that we're all embittered by sin and it's all around us, but yet we never really talk about it, think about it, look at it, consider it, understand it so that we can safeguard ourselves from it? 
I remember several many years ago now when polio was raging and people were stricken by it and they restricted public gatherings and everybody was trying to find a cure for it and finally when they did we were so conscious were we not? Why we talked about it and we said we must go and we all went and I know I took my family and we lined up and we got a little cube of sugar with a drop of salt vaccine on it. We ate that so that we'd be inoculated immune against the, <clears throat> the ravages of polio and thank God it works. We were concerned about it. People talked about it. We read about it. Beloved, I say to you that we ought to get concerned about sin and we ought to find out the remedy for it. We ought to find out the inoculation. We ought to find out what we have to take to become immune to it so it'll not pull us down to the very pit of hell itself. Brother, when I look around, I look at Adam and I see him as he's made from the hand of God, literally a fleshly monument of what God himself was like. There he was in the Garden of Eden, the perfect environment and the perfect specimen. There he was, nothing seemingly to bother him. I want to ask you what could touch him. Disease couldn't touch him because he was absolutely immune to it. Famine couldn't touch him because famine wasn't known in those days. There was no ravages. There were no storms. There were no hurricanes. There was no hail to beat down and beat the little plants to pieces. There was nothing like that. Famine couldn't reach him. Bankruptcy couldn't reach him because he didn't need any money. He had everything that he needed. He had everything that a person could desire. You think in your wildest imagination anything that a person could desire, and Adam had every bit of it. Nothing could get to him. He couldn't get sick. He couldn't die. He couldn't have famine. He couldn't get poor. He couldn't have anything to happen to him back. Not one thing. But there was one thing that got to him. It's the same thing that will get to you and to me today unless we're aware of it and what it's like. It's a thing called sin, S-I-N. I'm not going to bother you with a theological description of it, what it is theologically. But I'm going to try to say to you basically, sin is not doing what God tells us to do. It's disobeying God. It's missing the mark. It's coming short of the glory of God. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Adam had nothing that could bother him but one thing, and that was disobedience to God. God said, Adam, everything in this garden you can have but one little simple thing. There's one tree in the midst of the garden. Now, Adam, I want you to see it. Do you see where it is, Adam? Yes, sir. Now, you know which one I'm talking about. Yes, sir. You never could plead ignorance now. if you. Yes, sir, I know where it is. Now, you know every one of the rest of them you can have the fruit of. And all the plants, all the animals, everything here is yours. You will never die. You understand that, yes, sir. You can't get sick, yes, sir. You can't go bankrupt, yes, sir. Uh, you won't have famine, yes, sir. That's right. You will never get hungry, that's right. You've got your wife over there and everything's safe. And, yes, sir, everything's safe. Now, you know there's a one tree, yes, sir. Now, show it to me again, Adam. I want to be sure. It's that one right there, Lord. Now, you know which one, it, yes, sir. Now, Adam, I don't want you to eat that. That's the only thing that's going to be there. It's just a test. I want to see if you'll follow me or you're going to follow, follow what sin can offer. It wasn't long before the devil in the form of a serpent came and said, why don't you do what God told you not to do? And Adam went over and deliberately knowing that was a tree. <clears throat> the Bible says, Eve, his wife, first into transgression, she took of the fruit from the forbidden tree and gave to her husband with her and they sinned, they disobeyed God willfully, knowingly. When God came back that day, he said, Adam, wherefore art thou? Adam and his wife were busy sewing together little fig leaves, trying to hide their nakedness, of which they had only now become conscious. They had hidden themselves from the presence of God. 
Suddenly, God says, now because of this, God provided the sacrifice for them, and God took them in mercy outside where the angel of the garden, where the angels there with flaming swords, keeping them from getting to the tree of life, lest they live that way forever. And in shorter time than it takes me to tell it, there was a man that went from a perfect state in a perfect environment where nothing could touch him, but sin slipped in in its subtle, attractive way, and Adam bit for it, hook, line, and sinker. And in less time than it takes to tell me, he was outside of the Garden of Eden. There was perspiration on his brow. He had to hoe every day to keep the grass from eating up his little crop. Every day he had to stay at it in order to keep bread on the table and food on the table. Every day, suddenly one day when his sons were born, one of them came to the house and said, Mama, uh, look what's happened. And one of the sons were dead. They didn't know what it was. They'd never seen anything dead. They saw death. They saw heartache. They saw suffering. They experienced tears for the first time in their lives. They felt a broken heart, a compassionate heart. They experienced all of that because of one thing that got into the Garden of Eden is a thing called sin or disobedience unto God. Now, beloved, when you look at it that way, then you can see what it did to mankind. Just take your Bible and go through it. You see God as he takes the race at the beginning of every dispensation and he takes them as if a mother would take her child and clean them up and put them on flesh, cl fresh clothing and feed them good and says, now this is the way walk you in it. Every dispensation, God started it off with man in a good condition and with a great promise. Every single dispensation of the Word of God, man through it all turned his back on God and says, I'll not have God to rule over me. I'll not listen to his laws. I'm going to do what I want to do. And every time God sent judgment, every single time at the end of every dispensation, we're now in the last dispensation, the seventh dispensation known as the dispensation of grace. It started at Calvary's cross when the Lord Jesus Christ provided salvation. It's with a promise that whosoever, uh, whosoever shall come to the Lord shall be saved. There's the promise. But there's a judgment. Now, beloved, I ask you this question. You look over these 1,900 years since the cross, and we're standing at a day when man has turned his back on God as he never has before. Man looks at the marriage of laws, and he says, I'll not listen to God. I'm going to live exactly what I want to live. He looks at God's moral laws, and he says, I'm not listening to God. I'm going to live like I want to live. He looks at the way you conduct churches and all these business and missions and everything. They say, we're not listening to God. We're going to do it like we want to do it. And so man again has turned his back on God because of one three-letter word called sin. And brother, it'll get to you. It's gotten to mankind. It's why we have different languages. God confused or sin caused our tongues to be confused at the Tower of Babel. It confused our abilities to work together. It confused our abilities to live. The Bible says that even though we want to live and see our grandchildren growing and things of this sort, the Bible says, wherefore as by death, sin entered into the world. And therefore, death is passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You've got the sentence of death on you this morning. Did you know it? There used to be a saying when I was growing up in the country, and you'd see people and they'd say they've got the look of death on them. I think I know what they mean now. I've seen people sometimes walking around. I mean, the pallor of their face was so that you could almost see death written there. I've been in the hospital and looked at people, and I'm not a medical doctor, obviously, but I knew that they were going to die. 
But beloved, you may not have that look on your face, but the sentence is there anyway. You know why I know it? It's appointed unto every man wants to die and after this to judgment. And beloved, there's an appointment that you won't be too busy. You're not too rich, too handsome, too good looking, too popular, but that you'll not keep that appointment. One day you are going to die. And one day you're going to die because of a thing called sin. And beloved, we know so little about it, and yet it ravages us and it's ruined our mankind and ruined our societies. It cripples us and, and breaks our heart and fills our cemeteries and fills the prison and fills the, the houses of the prostitutes and fills the liquor joints and fills these ungodly places all over. And yet sometimes we're just not aware of it. All I do is ask you to look out. Just look around you and you'll see what sin is doing. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ was God himself manifested in the flesh? The Bible says he spoke and worlds came into existence in the light and all this, God himself in the person, or Christ, uh, God in Christ. When he was here, he spoke and water turned to wine. He spoke and the summer, or, or the, the storm turned like that of a little summer breeze. The rough water turned just as smooth as if it were a placid lake. When he was here, he spoke and deaf people's ears were unstopped. The blind men's eyes were open. Yea, even dead people came out of the grave talking and walking and completely alive. Nothing could bother the Son of the living God but one thing. While he was perfect in word, deed, or thought, while he never sinned, yet the Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I hear people arguing today, was it the Romans or the Gentiles who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ? The Jews or the Gentiles or the Romans? Who was it? Beloved, I say to you, it doesn't matter who the people were, but I do know what put the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, and I know what it plucked out his beard, and I know what it was that spat in his face, and I know what it was that drove the tent pegs through his hands and his feet and the spear into his side. And I know what it was that called the, 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 the blood to run down his side in, in rivlets and drop to the ground below. I know what caused that. It was a thing called sin. For the Bible says, He hath made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin so that you and I might be forgiven. That's the reason joining the church or being baptized or turning over a new leaf or trying to do something better will never save your soul, never will. It's only in, through, and by the person of Jesus Christ can you be saved. Look in first, see the nature. Look out, see sin all around us. And then you need to look up. Remember the three, look in, look out, then look up. Look up, and I only say that because we think of the Lord Jesus Christ being in heaven. Though he is, I believe, as close as your heartbeat. I believe that God's so near you that all you'd have to do. I believe the scripture teaches that he stands at the heart's door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him, then he with me. This is the teaching of the word of God. He's right there. But if you look up and think about him, Think about him being the substitute and everything that he's done, our advocate. He's the one that goes between. You know, if I was charged with some serious crime, would I not be foolish to try to go before the courts and plead my own case? They have a saying, I'm trying to remember it. Uh, he that pleads his own case has a client, has a fool for a client. 
You know what it's saying, don't you? If I'd go and plead my own case, I'd be a fool. I need to get somebody that knows what they're doing. I need to somebody who's familiar with the judicial system. I need somebody who knows the laws and how to prepare the case and present it in the right way. I would not think of going before the bar of justice without a legal attorney, without a, a barrister, without a, an attorney to advise me on what to do. Did you know some of you are going before the bar of justice? You may stand before God before this day is over. You may stand before God before this year is over. Some of you can well have 1974 on your tombstones, and you're going to stand at a judgment bar of God and having no attorney, having no go-between, having no advocate between you and God. That's why I like it says in the book of Job, is there no daysman? Is there no advocate? Is there no one in between? But beloved, thank God, and I quote again, the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Thank God when I came to him and claimed him as my Lord and Savior, I turned my case completely over to him. And I believe that when I stand at the judgment bar of God, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is my spiritual legal attorney, I believe that he'll stand there and he says, Father, this man is guilty as charged. He's worthy of death and hell and the suffering. He's guilty. But Father, I have paid the penalty. I have given my life for his. I took his sin and gave him my righteousness. All of his sins were paid for on Calvary's cross. And the Father is going to say, not, to, not on probation, he's going to say, that man then is exonerated. No charges against him. And he'll say, anybody in hell have any charges against this man? And he'll listen and not a word. Anybody on earth have anything to say against this man? Not a word. Anybody here on earth, in heaven, anything against this man? Not a word. You know why I know that in the book of Romans chapter 8? It says, who can lay anything then to the charge of God's elect? Oh, thank God for my attorney. Thank God for my advocate who's pleading my case, brother. And I'm glad that I'd, I believe I'd be so afraid my tongue would cleave to my mouth and everything that I'd thought up would fade away. I'd be so filled with terror. But thank God he's pleading my case now. He's my advocate, brother. I want him to stand there. I don't want to plead my case. I don't want to try to think up some excuses. I don't want to try to beat around the bush and tell the Lord I tried to did the best I could and didn't know it because God knows I'm lying. I knew better. I knew better just as Adam knew better. Brother, all I could do is plead guilty and throw myself on the mercy of God. Thank God he's our advocate. He's our substitute. He's the one that goes between. Thank God for that. Then I thank God for what he's doing right now. That's why I'm so glad. When you look up what he's doing right now, the Bible says he keeps me day by day. The Bible says when the accuser of the brethren comes, he sits there. And brother, I want you to know that the devil can accuse me of a lot of things. But brother, he can never accuse me of not being saved because I, that was a transaction between me and God. It was settled the day I trusted Christ as my Savior. My name was written in the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible said, yet he abideth faithfully, he cannot deny himself. And thank God he's my daily advocate. Thank God that every day that I live that he's there making intercessions for me and for you that are saved. 
Thank God for it. And then the thing that I'm so glad about, not only what he's doing, but what he's going to do. The Bible says he's going to care for me when I'm dying. The Bible says he's going to reunite me with my loved ones. He's going to provide me a place in heaven. And he's going to provide me with a new and a glorified body that's never known sin, that's never, will never know heartache again. And everything that Adam had and lost, thank God you and I, because of our trust in Jesus Christ, are going to regain in heaven. And everything will never never know what it is to say goodbye again. We'll never know what it is to see a cemetery. We'll never know what it is to take flowers out to the grave and put it there in memory of one of our loved ones. We'll never know what it is to have disappointments and sorrow and heartache. Thank God it'll be one day after one glorious day. And when a million years have rolled by, thank God we'll still be praising God for his mercy and for his goodness to us. And I say to you that some of you this day need to get saved this morning. And this man says, sir, what must I do to be saved? Brother, I want you to understand that you can't do anything. The only thing that you can do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who has completed it on Calvary's cross. And when the Lord Jesus Christ said, it is finished on Calvary, brother, he meant that it was finished transaction. Nothing could be added to, nothing could be taken away. All you have to do is claim it. Just claim it by faith. Believe it in your heart. And God, the Holy Spirit, will do the work within you. Make you a brand new creature. And let you know that you're saved. Give you that assurance down in your heart. That's the message for this morning. How can I be saved today? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I urge you to do it today. I urge you to do it this morning. I urge you to do it right now. Don't put it off, but come to the Lord right now. Let's stand together with our heads bowed. Our Father, you said today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. Lord, you said in the word of God that if we believe, Lord, we can only have that promise right now, not for tomorrow, not for yesterday, but right now. We believe that there are people here this morning on the very brink of eternity. Lord, some of them are so healthy, they'd never believe it. They'd never believe it if you'd tell them. But Lord, they may never know what it is to be in another service. Father, we pray that this morning, in Jesus' name, that you'd speak to their heart. Help them to realize that every one of them has an appointment with death. Maybe it's a tragic accident. Maybe it's a heart attack. Maybe it's a long, lingering illness. Lord, we don't know how that is. You don't reveal that to us. You just said that each one of us are going to die. Each one of us. And oh God, don't let us think about pleading our cases, Barr said. Not falling back on ignorance and saying, Lord, we didn't understand. For Lord, you'll not, you'll not accept that. Lord, they know. They know this morning. I've explained it to them the best that I know how. Help them realize they're accountable now. Help the ones listening on the radio as well as the one here to come to Jesus now in his name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you say this morning, Brother Hudson, I am not sure of my salvation. If I die this minute, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. I'm concerned about my soul, and I wish you'd pray for me this morning. Remember me. Slip up your hand right now where you are, and let me remember you in prayer. Slip it up. Yes, that's it. Come on. Others now. Slip up your hand. Say, Brother Hudson, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but oh, I need to be. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Others now. Come on. Yes, God bless you. Someone else now, come on, slip up your hand. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. All right, now, Father, in Jesus' name, we bring these that have lifted their hand to thee. Lord, let us know. Help them to look in. Help them to realize that that flesh in which they're dwelling right now, that, that flesh that they're pampering, indulging in sin, oh God, one day it'll desert them. It'll just go back to the dust when they slip out of it. 
And then their soul and spirit, Lord, will stand before God condemned. Oh, God, help them to see the foolishness and the fallacy of it. Help them to come to God today. We thank you for listening to the Making Much of Jesus podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen. And join us next time for the Making Much of Jesus podcast.